I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 186. Look, right off the bat, can we just talk about they found out who the fucking Zodiac Killer is? Right? I mean, do you think it's legit legit? I mean, I haven't, like, dug into the Google, but it seems so. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I did read, it was talking about, like, all these, this essentially, like, cold case unit mm-hmm. of, like, 50-something people have been working on this. So, I mean. Yeah. Okay, excuse me. 40. Because I just pulled up the article. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. It is huge. Well, earlier today, I was on the Killer Queens Facebook Live, Instagram Live, and they were talking about it. And I was like, isn't it amazing that this year of our Lord, Olivia Benson, that we both, we know both the Golden State Killer and the Zodiac Killer's identities. I know. Like, what? That reminded me, back when the Golden State Killer's identity was figured out, there was some news article that said, like, that they had found the Zodiac Killer, like, something like that. And I was like, oh, my God, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, not yet. And you were right. But, like, uh, say, a year, two years later, it's found. Well, and technically, the FBI is saying it's that's not him. Yeah, the FBI says that it's still open and unsolved. Yeah. Another thing about it is I just want to be in the minds of the people who figured out the cipher. Like, what in the Rosetta Stone? I hope it's legit. I mean, obviously, the FBI is going to be like, well, I don't know, until they get yeah, you know, the their DNA hands on everything. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. If it is him, I'm just so mad that he's dead because as the Zodiac Killer, he was so smug and he died with people not knowing who he was. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it's like, buddy, you found out now. But damn. But you want to know what I'm equally excited about? Trick-or-treating. Patreoners! (laughs) I mean, the candy, yes, but I'm not trying to schlep up and down the street. So thank you so much, Alyssa S. from Minnesota. Sarah W. from North Carolina. Stacy J. from Virginia. Eva K. from Minnesota. Elsa G. from Iowa. Carmen M. from Massachusetts. Zerlinda L. from Washington. Bridget C. from Tennessee. Okay. Chandler P. from, well, unsure where, somewhere in an armed forces base, question mark. And Jenny E. from Missouri. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. Hey, y'all are getting all kind of shit this month because, you know, October. We are doing all kinds of Facebook Lives over there that get silly. Just silly. Mm -hmm. I learned that Carrie and Tiffany, their kinks do not go to uh, sensory deprivation. They both did not like the blindfolds. Not even a fucking little. (laughs) The only time I want that much darkness is if I'm going to sleep. We have stuff like that going on over there and a whole heaping pile of creepypasta. And we love carbs and cocks. So if <laughs> you want all this shit, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, so spooky season. Gotta try to do something Halloween, right? Well, there's an episode of Dateline that I remember seeing what feels like many moons ago. <laughs> You'll get that in a minute. <laughs> Foreshadowing the foreskin over there. Yeah, it's called Under the Halloween Moon. Uh, see what I did there? Okay. So anyway, it is season 22, episode 6. And I remember watching this and being like, what the what? It has got twists and turns. And I was like, well, I'm fucking here for it. And I'm going to share this shit with y'all. So obvi, Dateline's where I got the bulk of this information. But there were a lot of other good articles and stuff. Okay, I want y'all to picture it. It's October 27th, 2007. We're in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Grand Forks has a population of about 53,000 people. So the word on the street is there was only like one murder a year, basically, in this town. So, you know, crime happened, but it not like a big city kind, you know? Can you imagine like one person's murder and you're like, Whew, okay, we, we're safe for the rest of the year. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's terrible. Okay. So it's Saturday night, and it's the Saturday before Halloween. So everybody has on their costumes. They're going out, and they are fucking partying. Specifically, Joe Loveling and his fiance Heather Eastling. Not to be confused Ooh. with my name, Easterling. <laughs> no she's, relation. Yeah, she's Eastling. She is not the holiday. She's just the direction. 
<laughs> you remember when you told me that your dad woke you up saying that the Easter Bunny had you. <laughs> you know, Donna and Tiffany have this thing that they love to do where they like to just find those little wounds and just fucking pour salt in them like I'm a fucking swimming pool. It, I was like, huh, Easter. And then it just came to me. Did it, Donna? It did. Uh, what's going to happen is Tiffany's going to listen to this thing episode and she's going to be like, oh my God, ha ha ha, I remember that too. I thought the same thing. That's what she's going to say. And I'm be like, <laughs> yes. I fucking hate you both. I'm going to raw scale or flip y'all both off. <laughs> so Joel and Heather had been together for like less than a year. They were doing the long distance thing, but she had just moved there because, you know, they got engaged. They were starting their life together. He worked in IT at the local hospital, and she was an elementary school teacher. So the two of them were out at this bar called The Broken Drum. Now, this was like a bar and casino together. So Heather was dressed up as a mechanic, and Joel was dressed as a hockey player from his favorite team, which was the University of North Dakota. I think it's so sweet. In the Dateline, she talks about how like within a week... She knew that Joel was the one. And he was a little more apprehensive because he had been married before that ended in a divorce. And he had a daughter with his first wife. And so he just was a little more like, well, let's take things a little bit slower. Okay. He was 31. And, you know, like I said, kind of had his life going, was working in IT. You know, he's just doing the damn thing. But then, th- then they fell in love very quickly. And it was only 10 months before she had moved out there. And she had hadn't been out to North Dakota for very long. Oh, and she moved from Texas. Had to throw that in there. Also at this club, bar, casino, was a group of about 40 to 50 20-something-year-olds. They had all rented this party bus that was going to drive them around to all the different bars in the town. Now, I saw somewhere, of course, I can't remember exactly, but it said they had like 325 fucking jello shots. So they were liquored fucking up and ready to party. How many Walmarts did y'all have to go to get the little fucking ramekins to make those shots? <laughs> Oriental training. Oh, maybe. See, that takes planning. <laughs> when I was 20 something and get on the party bus, never did it. But if I was. <laughs> party bus. But I'm just saying, I was not the planner to be able to order them like that. I would have to schlep around to all these different Walmarts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the bus gets to the bar, and all of a sudden, there's all these extra people in the bar. And even though it sounds like utter fucking chaos, and I would be miserable, it really seemed like Joel and Heather were having a really good time. He was playing blackjack, and it was just a good night. Well, at some point, Joel got a call And he had to take it. So he went outside because, you know, it's a loud bar. While he was outside on the phone, the party bus was, like, getting ready to go to the next bar. So Joel had come back in to tell Heather, like, hey, I think somebody missed the bus. I'm going to go try to help him. Kissed her and went outside to see if he could help. Well, just a few minutes after that, someone comes running inside the Broken Drum bar yelling for people to call 911 because there had been like a fight that had broken out, apparently. So Heather goes outside to check on Joel to see what's going on. And when she gets out there, she finds that it's actually Joel that's in trouble. She goes out, she finds him on the ground, he's covered in blood. She had no idea what happened. She's just holding him, trying to see what's going on, trying to figure this out in this utter fucking chaos. So basically, she gets out there. The bus is gone. All the people that were in those costumes is gone. And here's Joel laying on the fucking ground, bleeding to death. First responders get there, take Joel to the hospital, which is actually the hospital that he works at. And... The doctors did everything that they could, but it was too late. Joel had passed. So that leaves police going, who the fuck did this? Because police knew from his autopsy that he was literally beaten to death. Someone used their hands to beat him. Oh my gosh. And there were no witnesses. And 
you know, Heather's like, Joel is not a fighter. Like, Joel would not have picked a fight. Joel would not have, I mean, he was going to try to help somebody. Like, literally, he was helping someone and somehow got caught up in this and was beaten so badly that the coroner, they knew that his face was broken just from feeling it. Oh, shit. Like, basically, he was beaten to death and, like, drowned in his own blood. Gosh. They didn't have any cameras out there? It's a casino. They have, like, 10,000 cameras. Well, they did inside. And you can see some of the movements of the people. But, no, they were in, like, a blind spot. You could not see anything from cameras. So, the police have to go find the bus, basically, before... It's gone forever, right? right? Because these people, potentially the killers on the bus or these people saw what happened. Mm -hmm. So they start rounding these people up and you got to think everybody's in costume. So it's like literally like, okay, get the penguin, get the cowboy, get the clown. Like, like literally that's what's happening. Well, the clown is like sobbing, shaking and sobbing. So they're like, what's going on with him? No one likes a sad clown. And you have to think, too, that the amount of alcohol involved in this. So it was difficult to interview people because they're like, I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. First of all, they didn't know everybody that was on the bus. You know, when you got that yeah. many people, I mean, who knows who? And second of all, everybody's schnockered. So they don't fucking know what everybody's doing. You know, you're, you've got like tunnel vision when you're drunk. You have no concept of time. You have no concept mm-hmm. of other things going on around you. I mean, you'll spend 45 minutes in a fucking stall in the bathroom thinking that you've been in there for five fucking minutes. Yeah. Police do know, though, that one thing that was a piece of evidence was there was a piece of someone's costume left beside Joel's body. And they were like, what is this? Is this a bird's foot? Like, they could not figure out what it was. A bird's foot. Well, like like a, like a costume bird's foot. <laughs> I, know, I mean, who's a bird for a costume? Literally, there's somebody that's a penguin. Oh, that, I guess that's a bird, but like it's like <laughs> a penguin. But all I picture, <laughs> all I picture is like someone dressed as a bald eagle. <laughs> why? why? Oh, you know why? Because Colby said somebody's yeah. high as a eagle's foot. Yeah, that's it. So the police rounded up as many people as they could to try to make some sense. But again, most of these people needed to sober up. When they get the clown to the police station, he like quits his frantic crying and all of that. And he says that he had nothing to do with the murder, but he wasn't cooperative with the police at all. He told police that he was crying because of an argument that he had gotten in with his girlfriend earlier in the night. And he asked for a lawyer, which, again, is totally his right to do. That doesn't Mm -hmm. make you guilty. So police let him go because what else could they do? You know, that he just was crying. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of sad drunks. Mm -hmm. Personal experience. Yeah, we're looking at you, Tiffany. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Just that once. Okay. So... Another person of, I hate to say person of interest, but person that was kind of rounded up and the police talked to was a cowboy. And originally, this cowboy gave police a fake name and a fake date of birth. So they were like, well, that's weird. And then he became so physical and just mean and aggressive that police had to handcuff him like while they're like standing around the bus being like okay where were you who were you what's going on you know like he was so physically aggressive they had to fucking handcuff him and so police are like okay that's weird so here's the thing with this though the cowboy is like "I, i want no part of this he's not cooperative but there's also no record of his interview what right and This one investigator said that the cowboy was like, was the victim, the guy wearing the green shirt with the initials U and D on it, which was Joel. So it makes you be like, okay, well, then he saw something. If he's like, how you know who the victim, like, it's not like Joel was a part of your group. It's not like, there's no reason for him to have stood out for you to say Mm -hmm. like, is the victim the guy in the green shirt? You had to have seen something. Yeah. So... 
everybody basically went home and slept it off and came back to the police station the next day. And what police did find out was that one of the party goers, like the, like the bus people, there was a guy who was dressed as a hunter. And the, that guy got in a fist fight with a guy in a yellow sweatshirt. And because of that fight, they were like, bro, you can't get back on the bus. Like, not the hunter, the, the yellow sweatshirt guy. They're like, you can't get back on the bus. You can't sit with us. Like, bye. So, since a reason that, okay, well, maybe that's who Joel went to help out. The next day, the cowboy was a little more cooperative. Um, and he's like, yeah, I saw Joel alive. But again, like, he didn't know who he was. He was just like, yeah, I saw him alive. And that he was talking to the guy in yellow. Well, by this point, it's halfway through the day. If, again, everybody's waking up, sobering up. And the guy in the yellow sweatshirt is one of those people. He is 23-year-old Travis Stay. Now, Travis was a student at the University of North Dakota. He was a nursing student. And he was the guy in the yellow sweatshirt. So he wakes up and his roommate is like, dude, this is what happened. They're looking for the guy in the yellow sweatshirt. So Travis Stay is like, um, okay, and goes straight down to the police station because he's like, oh my God, like we gotta, we gotta figure this out. Like head straight down there. Yeah. So turns out it was his costume part that was next to Joel. It wasn't a bird's foot. It was a lion's paw because, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, not even close to looking the same, but it was a homemade costume. And that's the piece of a costume that they had found next to Joel's body. Well, when Travis is there, they're like, wait, what? Tell me about the, like your black eye and all that, because he clearly had some injuries on his face. And he said that, yeah, he had gotten in a fight with the guy that was dressed as the hunter so what was yellow sweatshirt guy dressed as? A lion? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He is yellow sweatshirt I know. guy. Yellow sweatshirt is the lion. But why does the lion have a yellow sweatshirt on? Because he's just, it's homemade, girl. <laughs> he had his mane and some paws and a sweatshirt. <laughs> well, I was picturing like bright yellow. No, 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 no. So this is more like brownish. I don't know. Oh, Okay. Like, it didn't even cross my mind that the yellow sweatshirt was weird. <laughs> Maybe it's because I, like, saw pictures of stuff. Probably. <laughs> I was just trying to think, like, what in the world was he? But the hunter was hunting the lion. Were they in a relationship? No, no, no. Oh, okay. They just got in a fucking fight. Like, a bar fight. Mm. So the detectives are like, okay, well, where's your costume? Like, we want to look at it. We want to, like, you know, forensic shit. And he's like, oh, I threw it away. And they're like, what? That's not that odd if it was that shoddy. Right. Well, also while he was there, police noticed that he had like a blood drop on his shoes. So they take his shoes and he actually gives them permission to go back to his apartment, search his apartment because his costume was in the trash there. So he's like, you know what? Yep. Go ahead. Go to my apartment. This is this is like where I threw it away. Yeah. You can look at it. Look at everything. Because he's like, I didn't fucking do this. Like, I'm going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. He didn't have an attorney, anything. But the police are like, because he, all he remembers is getting in a fight with the guy the, dressed as the hunter. And then they do know that after he got in the fight with the hunter and the bus left, he left the bar walking and got in a fight with somebody else. Like, tried to punch him and, like, missed. Like, I picture, like, total cartoon miss, like, spun <laughs> around. And that guy, like, left and went to go get a bat to come back to beat the beat oh him up. Gosh. I know. It's just very, like... Don't be drunk and act like this. Mm. And Travis was already gone. But Travis is like, I don't remember what happened. Like, he's like, I blacked out. Like, I don't remember any of this. I remember getting in the fight with the hunter, but that's all I remember. It just cracks me up. I can't stop thinking that that is a perfect couple's outfit, right? A hunter and a lion. Yeah, but they don't, they weren't. They don't like each other. No, I know. But like, but then also it's funny that they got in a fight. Yeah. That's, yes, they even said that on Dateline, like, that's kind of humorous. Eventually, police arrested 
Travis for Joel's murder. There was some DNA on Travis's costume. Some of it came back as Travis's. Some of it came back as Joel's. And a little bit more than a year after he was arrested, Travis went to trial for Joel's murder. So during trial, it came out that they had tested four different areas of Travis's sweatshirt. Three of them were Joel's and one of them was Travis's. Of course, his Paul being right next to him. So the cowboy, his name's Bryce Larson. He took the stand and he basically said Travis was shit-faced, uncooperative, and kicked him off the bus and they left him at the bar. They used the CCTV footage from inside the bar to like show the comings and goings of everybody and like, okay, Travis walks out there, Joel's out there, you know, to be able to kind of put together their timeline of when they think that the murder happened. Police are like, there's nobody else that could have done it because they all got on the bus and left. There was only Travis left there from their crew, basically, that could have done this. And Heather's testimony backed that up, too, because she was like, yeah, Joel told me somebody missed the bus. He was going back out to help them. So that just helped the district attorney with their case against them to be like, yeah, look, this is the timeline. And the fact that Travis like picked a fight with somebody else when he left the bar, they're like, clearly he's got some issues with the alcohol and all. There was an expert for the state that testified saying that it had to have been Travis because of the way that the blood splatter was on him. It was consistent with like him standing over him, beating him. But then they said, well, it could have been from him coughing up blood. Not like if they were just like beside each other. Now, the defense is like, okay, Travis is like 5'7", and Joel is 6'3". So he's got six to seven inches on him and a solid like 80 pounds on Travis. And Travis was so drunk that he fucking swung and missed at that that guy. You know, and it's like, yeah, while Joel was drunk and wouldn't have been in like fighting shape, as they say, he wasn't as drunk as fucking Travis. Right. He could have, like, and blown him down. (laughs) I picture Joel just having his, like, palm on Travis's forehead and Travis just, like, Like, trying to fight. Yeah. So Travis's thing is, no, those guys, the clown, the hunter, the cowboy, they beat me up and then they beat Joel up. His thing is, like, they beat us both up, which is why he's saying, I had blood on me. I had all that because... I was beat up and then so was he. And then, of course, the cowboy lied about who he was when police Mm -hmm. came. The clown bawling, crying. And so the defense is like, no, look, it could be these people. The other thing, too, is that the clown said to the police that things had gotten out of hand that night. And so the defense was like, what do you mean by that? Like, what's going on? And now on the stand, he's like, I don't remember that. Mm. I don't remember any of that. The defense called an ER doctor who had examined Travis and was like, no, if Travis did that to Joel, his hands would have been way different. He had a couple of like scuff marks and that was from him being like him being punched and fallen and catching himself like on the ground. Yeah. His hands weren't bloodied and broken and all of that that you would expect to see in someone that had literally beaten someone to death right like broken his cheekbone right but the part where the defense they're like golden buzzer golden ticket whatever you want to call it was the cctv footage because the whole time the police had been working this case it had been under the assumption that the bus was gone but the defense showed on the cctv that the clown was still in the bar when everything happened, like going to the bathroom or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you can see him leave the bar on the footage that shows the bus was still there. Oh. So all those people that were the other suspects that they were like, well, it couldn't have been them. It couldn't have been them. The bus was already gone. It was already at this other bar. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It was still there. Yeah. 
Well, Travis never got on the stand. But all in all, the trial lasted nine days. It took jurors only five hours to deliberate. And they came back with a not guilty verdict. When the jurors were interviewed, their biggest thing was, one, the timeline, because that was a huge blow Uh to the prosecution to show that that bus was still there. And they never tested anyone else's clothes. They only tested Travis's. Mm. And one of the jurors said that the defense could have not even said a word, and they still would have found him not guilty. Wow. So, of course... Heather and Joel's daughter and his whole family are completely distraught because as far as that police department and all of that goes, this case is solved. They even went so far as to destroy some evidence, which is like unheard of. What? Mm -hmm. You know, Heather is like, well, I know that Joel's blood was only found on one person. And, you know, it was found at the front and the back, like of his pants. And she's like, the only way that could have gotten there is if he was standing over him beating him. Well, they said that about Michael Peterson, too. Y'all, if I could get y'all could, can we? The, <laughs> and we all know that the owl did it. Well, Michael fucking Peterson is a whole nother thing. But you know what I mean? They're like, the only way the blood could get on the inside of his leg on the shorts were him standing there beating her. Right. But then you also have the thing, the expert that says, well, he could have coughed it. But then they were like, well, he had a piece of gum in his mouth, so he wouldn't have coughed the blood out like that. Like, like if he would have coughed that much, the piece of gum would have come out, is what they're saying. So, you know, there's just a, a bunch, but the timeline of the bus still being there mm-hmm. does create serious reasonable doubt. Yeah. But Joel's family firmly believes that Travis did it. And as far as the police department goes, the case is closed. Travis didn't continue with his nursing degree. He went to law school and now works as an attorney. Oh, wow. And that's the case of Joel Loveland and his Halloween murder. Dang. I thought you were going to come back and be like, okay, he really did it, and this is how they found out, or something, you know what I mean? No, No. it's unsolved. I mean, technically, it's unsolved. Yeah. Because the one person that they took to trial didn't do it. I just think it's, you know, I I ain't trying to get sued to say it was these three guys, but I just think it's so bizarre that they gave the wrong name. One's, like, losing his shit. One of them had gotten in a fight with him, and there was literally no one. The prosecution could not bring one shred of evidence to show that Travis had a history of like violence or anything mm-hmm. like that when he drank. He very seldom drank, and he he would even say like I didn't drink very often. When I did, I fucking drank. I can totally appreciate that because that's how I am. I don't drink very often, but if I'm going to the bar and I'm pl- I'm partying, I'm fucking partying. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Yeah, I don't remember anything," and. I think that's part of why he didn't take the stand because he didn't want that cross-examining of you don't fucking remember anything. Right. But, I mean, like the juror said, he didn't need to. Yeah. But for them to come back after five hours, like the jury basically said, we didn't think that they created enough reasonable doubt. We didn't think he did it. Yeah. Wow. So like, it's not just a, well, you didn't really prove it to us. They're like, no, no, no. We think he's actually innocent. I wish when they saw the whoever go back in, mm-hmm. I wish they could see if he was like, his hands were bloody or, you know, whatever. Right. And I th- I feel like there's just so many holes and it's easy to poke holes in an investigation after the fact. But, you know, I remember the first time I ever saw this dateline, I was like, he did it. Like, I was like, he fucking got away with murder the first time I ever watched it. But the more... The more I watched it and started looking at other things, it found some quotes from the jurors and that kind of thing. I was like, oh, wait, you know what? I don't fucking know. Which is kind of, you know, how Dateline goes with you. Mm -hmm. You you know, you're like, they did it. They didn't. They did it. They didn't. I don't fucking know. What did the jury say? Can you tell me what they think? I don't know. What do you think? You think he did it or you think it was maybe those other three guys or, I don't know, a red herring? Mm, I don't know. I don't think he did it only because, yeah, I mean, if he hit him that hard, to do, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if three people are beating up on you, it's easier, you know, like one person can lay a punch, the other person lay a punch right. in the same place. And they did say, too, that they there was a chance that some of his injuries could come from a shoe or like a flat object. And so, you know, 
he had his shoes on and he just had like a drop of blood. Like he didn't have the amount of blood that you would have from having kicked someone. Mm -hmm. And it's, Makes sense, though, that if he had gotten in a fight with the hunter Mm -hmm. and then Joel was like, oh, the bus is going to leave him and he goes out to help him and they're like, who the fuck are you? You know, right. That's what I was thinking. And wrong place, wrong time for him just trying to be a good guy. And it got him killed. And he did nothing wrong. Yeah. He did nothing wrong but try to help somebody. No matter who did it. He died trying to help somebody. Yeah. And his family, his fiance, his daughter, they're without him now. That's so sad. I'm just trying to think about how, like, the blood would get there. But also, like, drunk people do weird, stupid shit. Yeah, there's literally no telling. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, you know, the blood splatter is so hard because I feel like you literally could explain it. You could make it say what you want it to say. Mm -hmm. And I know it's a science and I know we've come a long way and all that stuff. But it's like, just like that, it's like he had to have been standing over him. Oh, well, Joel could have coughed. Oh, well, you know what? He couldn't have coughed that much because he would have spit his gum. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not an exact science. There's always an expert to say the opposite of what another expert saying. Yeah. And that's what's hard. That's why these cases on like 48 hours, Dateline, all that are so hard because you don't fucking know. Mm-mm. Which is why I could not be on a jury like that. Yeah. Well, just like you said, it's spooky season. So I wanted to do a story about something that seems supernatural, but turns out could be real after all. Could it, though? (laughs) We think the basic Halloween ghoul squad as being witches, ghosts, Frankenstein, and zombies. But zombies might be something completely different than we're shown in the media. I'm going to tell you the story of Clairvius Narcisse. Is that where we get the word narcissistic? No. That's that guy that was looking at himself in the thing. Yes. <laughs> Picture it. Haiti, 1962. On April 30th, Clairvius was admitted to the Albert Schweitzer Hospital in response to him running a high fever, having severe body aches, fatigue, and just recently started spitting up blood. He hadn't felt great for a little bit, but when he was spitting up blood, he got scared, and that's when he checked himself into the hospital. He sounds like me. (laughs) We'll feel terrible, and then like, okay, that was a straw that broke the camel's back. Gotta go to the hospital. Let me, like, Carrie, you wanna go to the ER with me? No, I don't, but I will. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm the one that's like, we need to go. Well, after undergoing multiple tests, his two attending physicians came to the conclusion that Clairvius was suffering from several different things and they couldn't pinpoint the cause. He had some sort of digestive and respiratory issues, pulmonary edema, which is fluid on the lungs, hypotension, which is low blood pressure, and he was also suffering from hypothermia, which is low body temperature. He was kept because obviously they needed to run more tests to treat him and all that shit. Well, Clarvius went on to tell them that it felt like there were insects crawling beneath his skin and the hypothermia got so bad that his lips turned blue. Well, two days later, Clarvius was pronounced dead. His older sister, Marie Claire, signed the death certificate as a witness, like put her fingerprint on there And he was moved to the hospital's morgue where he stayed for 22 hours until the next day when he was promptly buried. Okay, first of all, Marie Claire, like, is in the... Yeah, right? Okay, and second of all, he was buried in 22 hours. They're not going to have a wake, a funeral, nothing? Just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Well, they had a funeral. Well, they must not have had out-of-town guests. (laughs) Well, Clarius's family mourned his death but moved on over time. Until 18 years later, when Angelina, his other sister, was shopping at a village market. She heard someone call out her name and was soon approached by a man who claimed to be Clairvius. Now, you can imagine the shock and the skepticism that she was feeling, and I bet she was dealing with a lot of hurt and anger that someone dared to play a cruel joke on her like that. Yeah, that's that's fucked up. Yeah, 
Well, Clarvius went on to try to prove he was who he said he was. And so he told Angelina of a childhood nickname that only the two of them and their immediate family knew about. That sealed the deal with Angelina because even though this man was the older version of the brother she had known, he still looked like him. The only difference, other than aging, was a scar she had never noticed before. So, of course, she questioned him about it, and he told her it was from the men nailing the coffin shut. Oh, my God. Yes, that they missed their target, but drove the nail down because, you know, got to put it in anyway, which that punctured his face, thus leaving the scar. And Angelina believed him, but her and her whole family wanted to be sure other than just taking his word for it. And they all felt the kinship and just how everything was right about this man. And they were, of course, overjoyed when the investigation showed that he was, in fact, Clarvius Narcisse. So if he's him, why the fuck didn't he, like, seek his family out? Well, I'm going to tell you. Okay. So, two researchers were the ones who investigated. They knew that opening the grave wasn't guaranteed the right answer, even though I still would have opened it. But they're saying, okay, if this man is a fraud, he could have opened it, got the body, put nothing, you know, like, and be like, lo and behold, here I am, you know. Or if there was a body in there, whatever he's going to tell them, the people who are involved in whatever, him, his, whatevs, could have put a body in there. You know, like, you never know. So that wasn't 100, and they didn't have DNA testing at this point. So it was kind of a moot point. I still feel like, step one, exhume oh, the body. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, what they did instead was come up with very personal questions that only the Narcisse, like, immediate family would know, and he answered them all correctly. Then they also asked people who knew Clarvius to ID him, like neighbors, other family members, and his two doctors from before. And they all did. Also, the thing about it is there is no upside for him coming back claiming to be Clarvius. There's no real fame for these type of cases because zombies are treated as social pariahs. No, <laughs> sorry. Wait. He's not a zombie. <laughs> this is what it's called. <laughs> Bless. There's no such thing as zombies. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, he died. He came back. It's a zombie. You are only thinking of the zombies that you've been told about that eat brains and all of that. So who has a closed mind here? Carrie. I'm just saying. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I need more details. I'm going to let you tell the story and then I'll uh-huh. say some other things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, also, no one would choose to have the label of a zombie in Haiti. Clarvius went on to tell his family about everything that had happened to him. He remembered in detail how the sheet felt when they placed it over his body and pulled it up his face, how his sister sounded as they cried beside him, and how it felt to be buried alive. Clarvius thought he would die from suffocation in the coffin because he was paralyzed. He heard everything, you know, he felt everything, but he could not speak. That is fucking scary. Yes, But the next thing he knew, he was being exhumed. And it wasn't by his friends or his family, but by a stranger who had something other than death in mind for Clairvius. It was a Bakor, who is a Haitian voodoo practitioner. And those are normally the ones who do black magic. Because we all know that not all voodoo is bad voodoo. Voodoo is not bad, but some people practice the darker side of it. You know, people are bad, not the actual beliefs and culture around it. And once Clarvius was saved from suffocating, sadly, his real nightmare began. His hands were bound together as well as his feet. He was then savagely beaten. And when he was finally done being brutalized, 
Some sort of concoction was forced down his throat. After consuming the potion, Clarvius was in a trance-like state. He also had to go through a ceremony that was performed for several days in a row, and this ceremony was basically to convince him that he was in fact dead and now has been brought back. Because their belief is that if a Bakor makes you a zombie, he has your soul. Well, then he was taken to a sugar plantation and forced to work as a slave. He would be one of several slaves on the plantation. I think he said it was around 100. Every day was the same for him after that. Long, grueling hours of hard work. And the only break they got during the day was lunch. And it wasn't like our 30-minute or an hour break. It was very quick. They were all forced to consume more potion on the daily to keep them in their zombie-like state. They could do the bare minimum of functioning, but they were capable of following orders. So slowly but surely, everything would get done. But, I mean, you have to think how slow zombies move in the movies and stuff you're thinking about. That's Mm -hmm. how they were doing it because they were almost catatonic. You know, they're like upright in a coma, you know, just kind of going through the motions. So if you say, go pull up that row, they're going to go pull up that row. It might take them five hours to do it, but they're going to do it. They really couldn't think for themselves or control their own body. They were a puppet for the Bacor. Clarvia said that it was as if everything was happening in slow motion around him. And he said that his eyes, you know, he couldn't comprehend it at the time, but they were playing tricks on him and stuff because he thought there was like this raging river beside the plantation. And so if he wanted to escape, he couldn't. He couldn't get over that. He couldn't get through it. But it was actually just like a calm little stream, you know, that he could have easily crossed. But he was, you know, he was out like, of it. Yeah. And that was his life for two years. Two full years of daily abuse, slave labor, and poisoning. The only reason he was able to escape was that the Bakur died. And there are some reports that say it was natural causes, but others, including Clarvius, said that one of the zombies killed their master with some kind of garden tool. And now this might be that the person was able to like not take the medicine that they were given and so they could think more freely. Or who knows, it might be that the will of some people cannot be broken and they overthrew their tormentor. Who knows? But they were finally free, kind of, because the potion in their system was slow to wear off. Now, remember, I said 18 years later, not two. And you were asking like, what took him so long? So two of them, he was a slave. For the next several years, like all all the years after, so 16, Clarvius lived on the streets. He did write to his family, but those letters were never answered. And that could have been because they thought whoever was writing them was a liar because, hello, you buried your brother, or they never made them to the family at all. We don't know. But he heard through the grapevine that his brother had passed, And when he heard that, he knew it was his time to go home. Because here's the thing. Clarvius said that he believes his brother is who paid the Bacor to make him into a zombie. (gasps) So that's why he never went back for fear of that. So what it was like is his brother's revenge because the two were in an argument over some land. And land in Haiti at that time was everything. And Clarvius did not want to share the family land with his brother and denied him his rightful share. And also before this, there were talks around the village about how stubborn and stingy Clarvius was. Hmm. Like he wasn't their favorite by far. He never wanted to help anyone other than himself. That's what they saw. Like everyone had thatch covered roofs. He was the first to have like a tin covered roof And he kind of, like, boasted about it and, you know, everything. He wasn't rich by far, but in the village, he was kind of a con man and kind of, like, made his living by putting other people down, you know, that kind of thing. 
And several people said that they all knew that he refused to pay for his children that he had with several different women. Like he just did not take responsibility for anyone other than him. So, I mean, he wasn't like the most beloved guy and all of that. And so, I mean, if, it, you know. So as much as his family was happy to see him alive, they weren't super close to him because, again, all of that shit. But also, zombies, which he was he's considered in their culture, are social outcasts. They're shunned. That's how Clarvius lived the rest of his life, shunned from his village. Damn. He did find shelter in a Protestant mission, and he lived there until he passed away in 1994. For real this time. So it sounds fake. We all know that Carrie believes it's all fake. But it is very well documented because he went to the hospital. He was pronounced dead. And then it was verified, uh, no, that's him. He alive. Well, the two researchers that investigated everything, they were a psychopharmacologist. Use that for a freaking Scrabble word. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Klein, one of the researchers, he was like, okay, we need help. He spoke to someone at Harvard Botanical Museum, but the director was busy and had a lot on, you know, like just was like, oh, this is amazing, but can't do it. But he passed on the information to Wade Davis, who was working on his doctorate at Harvard. He was an ethnobotanist and an anthropologist. And ethnobotany is where people study different cultures and regions to see how they use indigenous plants. So Dr. Klein reached out to them because, you know, he was like, okay, this isn't just some supernatural thing. Something real is going on here and he needed to find out. So they sent Wade to Haiti to find out what he could about zombies. Well, when Wade got to Haiti, he met with Marcel Pierre, who was a bacor, and Pierre told him about the zombie powders and how to make them. But what Marcel didn't know is that Wade had all of this knowledge to know that all the ingredients that Marcel was talking about wouldn't do anything. They were all just for show. Like... He had different kind of like talcum powders, basically, that were different colors and, you know, whatever. And then like some herbs, some what, you know, but he's like, and then you sprinkle this and that. And it's like, okay, okay. Like me and you would have been like, whoa. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) This guy's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Thanks for the bullshit, but not really how you do it. Right. Well, so Wade left letting Pierre think he pulled one over on him because Wade was like, dude, I, like, have some people who will pay for anything and everything. Like, they want this kind of knowledge to work on their enemies, you know, whatever. They're high up in America. If you give me this and it works, I'll be back and you'll be rolling in the dough. So, like I said, he let him, you know, Pierre was like, ho, 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 whatever. Well, a few weeks later, Wade met with Pierre again and was like, hey, that didn't do anything to my enemy. You're a liar. And it was, like, in public because Pierre owned this bar. And so that's where they were. And when Wade was like, you're a liar, you have no power, of course, in true Disney villain fashion, Marcel Pierre, he was like, do not say I have no power. I will show you my power, you know. And he took Wade, got some ingredients, and showed him the real process. And according to a Washington Post article, the ingredients of Marcel's powder were like two lizards that were freshly killed, a large toad, some other like gross things, worms, blah, and a puffer fish. Then there were multiple plants and human bones that had been grounded down and grilled until they were charcoaled. Yeah, this is why I can't do, like, voodoo or, like, <laughs> witchery. Not witchery, but you know what I mean? Like, yes. that type of thing. I can, that, ew. Like, while I appreciate the cultural implications and all of that, ew. Right, I know. Like, I'm not trying to be, like, say, ew, about a culture. I'm saying, ew, about reptiles. Yeah, right, I know. And I don't know shit about plants. No, fuck no. I would kill myself. Yes. 
Well, Marcel was able to point him in the direction of different bacores, and he was able to get some more samples. All of them had different ingredients, but it wasn't like, whoa, totally different. It was just, you know, different seasonings. But the main ingredient that they all had was the pufferfish. The thing about the pufferfish is it contains tetrodotoxin, which is one of nature's most toxic substances. We're talking like more than 500 times more powerful than cyanide. Damn. This is more than what I understand. But what it does, it binds the sodium channels on the nerve cell membrane, which blocks the transmission of a person's nervous impulse. And just to note, the symptoms of tetrodotoxin poisoning include fatigue, paralysis, blue coloring of the lips, digestive and respiratory difficulties, pulmonary edema, hypothermia, and hypotension. So literally everything old boy had. Yeah, like to a T. But that zombie powder is just the beginning. Because after the person is dead, in quotes, they are resurrected and beaten into submission like we talked about Clarivius was, and then force-fed another potion. Most of the time, it's a paste made of sweet potatoes, cane syrup, and datura. That's a plant that the Haitians call zombie cucumber because it's one of the most potent hallucinogenic plants. And it causes severe delirium, confusion, psychosis, and sometimes complete amnesia. So Wade was able to see them make this, you know, and all of that. And he said, you know, you think it's not an exact science, but it is. Because a little too much of the pufferfish stuff. Because what they do is they, like, boil them down to where it's just, like, all oily substance, you know? Yeah. But if you use too much, you kill them. Right. With this Datora, if you use too much, they're in a coma. Yeah. It said that later when they're fully in their zombie mode, they're not given any salt. Which the sodium channel thing with the thing. Yeah. And two, like them working out on the sugarcane mm-hmm. plantation, they're going to be very lethargic. It keeps them down because can you imagine working out in the field all those days and you're never replenished with that nutrient at all? And we all know that you need some salt intake, i.e. like Powerade, Gatorade, all of that shit, they're like, hmm, these football players. So Wade Davis sent some samples of the zombie potion to laboratories in Europe and the U.S. And one of the experiments was on rats. And so they shaved a portion of the rat because that's what that powder that they would, they say like you sprinkle the powder on your victim And it has all these different plants in there. And they all have, like, they said, like, hair-like plants. But something that would have texture. And I just want to say, like, a cactus. But whatever. But it's so, when it gets on your skin, it kind of makes you all tingly. Or, like, bugs are crawling all over you. And what it does, it's abrasive to the skin. So... Some people put even like broken shards of glass, like really like ground up glass and stuff in it. So it's an exfoliator for that paste. Because when you put the paste on them, that's when it triggers. So it needs like really good skin contact. And lo and behold, it did induce a trance-like state in those rats. So they're like, huh, okay. You know, and I didn't mention this, but Wade, when he went back, you know, he was, you know, telling him, like, you are nothing. And Marcel was like, yes, I am. And he gave Wade that potion. And he said it looked like just like ground up, like black dirt kind of stuff, you know. And he kind of did like the Chris Angel mind freak on Marcel. And he acted like he rubbed it on his skin, you know. And Marcel was like, you're a dead man. And when they, like, but he, because he was like, no, nah, I'm not going to trust him on this time, you know. But when they did this, like, they used this and uh, he would have been a dead man. Because, again, it's all about the, on the skin and he, like, rubbed it, blah, 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 blah. Oh, and this is just a side note, but that kind of research doing, like, his ethnobotany stuff 
it led to a discovery of a muscle relaxer that they use in surgery. And it was discovered from the Amazon what they poison their darts with and their arrows with. So I just think that's so cool. Yeah. Like, I don't know, because, hello, I had to look up what ethnobotanist was. (laughs) That's really cool, like, how indigenous people figure these things out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, sometimes, like, the old world or, like, the old wives' tales, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, it's there for a reason. Because it really does fucking work. Yes. Just because it's not like, oh, scientific, da-da-da. Well, it is to them, and they Mm -hmm. have figured it out through centuries of passing things down and and learning things that way. Yeah. If you want to read more about Wade Davis and his research and the Haitian trips that he went on, he wrote a book called The Serpent and the Rainbow, which I believe they did. They did like a horror movie based off of that. Because again, zombies. All in all, what Wade basically came up with is the concoction of the powders, that paste, and the cultural beliefs make that person into a zombie. Like, quote unquote, a zombie. Because, yes, people would be in a trance-like state or, you know, like, yeah, they would, that could work on someone. But it was everyone's belief in Haiti that zombies exist, that the Bakur has your soul. He has taken your soul. He is the owner of it now. You know, you died. He brought you back for the sole purpose of being your master. You know, all of that. And the Bakur, even though he knows he's making this potion and stuff, It's not like he's like, oh, yeah, I don't really have your soul. But no, he thinks he does. He's controlling you. And you see, Haitians see zombies the same as slaves. And with their history of oppression that is long, 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 you know, it's just huge. They see losing their free will as the ultimate punishment. And so it's not the fear of zombies for them. It's the fear of becoming one. And that's all I have about Clairvius, Narcisse, and everything. But I want to add that Dr. Klein, Wade Davis, etc., they weren't the first people to study the Haitians and the zombie beliefs. Back in the day, in the 30s, Zora Hill Hurston, she was an African-American anthropologist. She went to Haiti and wrote a book titled Tell My Horse. And so there she learned about secret societies and came away with the belief that zombies were, in fact, a real thing. And the thing about the societies were, in most rural areas, they were basically the police. They were in control of that territory and the people who lived there. And they used zombies as the boogeyman. Do good. Follow our rules. Whatever. If you don't, We'll get a bakur and turn you into a zombie. And again, that was a fate worse than death. But she was never able to find proof behind it, like the powders and all of that. That's where the others came in and they were able to do that. But I thought it was so cool that she was a woman of color and a fucking trailblazer. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking that. And that was in the 30s. And so she had so much more adversity to fight to to even get to be an anthropologist and all of that. So anyway, that is the tale of Clairvius Narcisse, a real-life zombie. So they put the paste on him, made him, like, air quotes, die, mm-hmm. and then just waited for them to bury him, which is probably why his family pushed to bury him so quickly, because his brother was like, bury him, bury him, bury him. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got it. Okay, everybody here for the funeral. Okay, go. And then... Yeah. And so a lot of people... Again, it's all it's a perfect science to make someone a zombie because if they wait too long, they're going to suffocate in the coffin, mm-hmm. you know? And so a lot of people do, or they are too far gone by that time. And so it was that night. It was like when the sun goes down, that's when they went and got him. So it was like eight hours or something. But yeah, and they subject him to, because again, Clarvius knew about zombies. Like, that's what you grow up knowing about zombies. Right. So when all that's happening, because, you know, he's thinking, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die. He wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to be a zombie. Mm -hmm. He was just thinking, I don't know what is wrong with me. The doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. I'm going to suffocate here. Holy shit, someone's getting me out of here. But then, lo and behold, they beat him. They tell him that, you know, 
he's going to have to go through basically a tribunal and be like, you are a horrible person, their thoughts, and like, we have found you guilty and go through all this stuff and how they made him think like, you were dead. We brought you back. We own your soul. We do that. And so he's like, he's put all his beliefs in that. Right. That's what he's learned. That's what he, that's his culture. That's what he mm-hmm. grew up believing all the things. Yeah. I totally get like how it's their belief system and all of that. But really and truly, if you look at it from like air quotes medical side, he didn't actually die. So he's not actually a zombie. But if you flatline, don't you die? Not Well, technically, I guess you are. But uh-huh. like, but it was designed to bring him back. It's not like they dug him out and like chest compressioned him. But they could have not. You know what I mean? Like he died in that state. He could have died. Like, you know what I mean? But he didn't die, die. Like, if he flatlined, he came back. Yeah. Which I don't understand how he came back from a flatline just on Oh, flatline. I don't know if it flatlined. I'm just saying. Oh, Jesus, Mary, Joseph. To you, I, I don't even know if they had that that knowledge. What year know. was it? 1962. Okay. So, I mean, again, I don't know anything about medical shit, but I don't know if they had all the hookup stuff, you know, like that yeah. we have now. So, I don't know if they just didn't feel a pulse. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I have no idea. Well, and I'm sure there's, I know there's nurses listening. Can someone come back from a flatline just on their own? I don't think so. But I mean, you know, shit happens, man. So not technically a zombie, but we're going to appreciate their culture and their beliefs and not be a dick. And by we, I mean me. I was going to say, not we. I want a dick. You are a dick. Touche, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> no truer words have spoken. And Clavius is not, like, he's not special in this sense. He is of several people who have, like, been zombified. What makes his unique is that it was very documented. He went to the hospital. There is a death certificate. You know, all of these things. It's not just like his family said, oh, he died, then he came back. It's like the... Haitian version of the witch trials. Like yeah. you want something from somebody, say they're a zombie. Like you want you wanted his land, you didn't like the fight that you were in, mm, go see a, a voodoo practitioner and make him a zombie. Mm-hmm. And then he shunned. You want somebody's land or you don't like this woman that's in power, say she's a fucking witch. Yeah. Fuck people, man. That's so fucked up that you can just take something from someone that they've worked so hard for or whatever. Yeah. Even if it's just their pride or their name, it's not even necessarily like land or whatever, you know, it's like their family, their livelihood, their name in the community, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know why my brain went here, but it went to one of the people that you covered where he wasn't bad. He wasn't the guy, but the police Mm -hmm. like put his name out there or something that he was the suspect or something and he wasn't. And, like, when he got out, like, he had lost, like, everything. You know, like, yeah. he, you can't come back from that. Because I, I swear, I can't remember the, what it was. There's so many of the stories like that. And I was literally about to say that is That's why I'm so careful, or I try to be, of, like, if there's another suspect or something like that, like, not always saying names or, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Because it's like, I mean, like the Jacob Wetterling story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that poor guy that was like, here, yeah, search my land. And the police were like, no, we're good. And then... He was framed, basically, Mm -hmm. not framed, but he was a suspect for, like, decades. Yeah. And it was, like, 40 years later, and his life is fucking ruined. Yeah, and they're like, oh, yeah. By the by, oh, okay, sorry, it wasn't you. Right. And so, it's just, ugh. Because as much as our world is changing, people's names still mean something. Yeah. Well, and it depends on, like, where you live. Because I feel like in smaller communities, that's terrible. You know, where everyone knows someone, or it's like... My mom would know people more so than me. So I wouldn't, like, if someone said Joe Schmo was arrested for some, like, horrific crime, I'd be like, oh, damn. Like, that's local. But my mom would know him, would know his family, would know uh-huh. whatever. Say, his mama, his uh-huh. grandma, his whatever. And then it was like, oh, no, he's he's innocent. And she, it's still, like, people aren't going to talk to them because they're going to be like, no, he was really guilty. Yeah, because it truly is guilty until proven innocent. And then actually, the jury might have gotten it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, 
literally just like my case today. I mean, he was proven innocent in a court of law. The jury found him not guilty. He was acquitted. And there are people that still are like, he fucking did it. And it's like, technically, he was acquitted. Yeah. The jury said, not only do you not have enough evidence, like, your evidence is wrong. You know, like, the evidence that you showed us, well, they proved that the bus hadn't actually left. Yeah. So... Again, the jury was like, "Mm, they didn't create reasonable doubt. We don't think he did it. Yeah. So it's not one of those, well, they just didn't show. Mm -hmm. You know, they were flat out like, no, no, no. We don't think he did it. And his life was forever changed. Not No longer went to nursing school. I mean, he did go to law school. Something came good came out of it. If you believe that he's truly innocent. Yeah. And hopefully he's going to continue on and help people in a different way than he was like with the nursing school. But if you believe he did it, his life is forever changed. Yeah. Because perception's reality. That's so true. Well, I really liked this story, even though he wasn't a zombie. To you. Because he never actually died. And if that's the case, then is every single person that's ever flatlined and been brought back considered a zombie? Let's say that someone like had a heart attack in the Haitian culture are they considered a zombie like they flatlined and they're like chest compressions brought them back in the hospital are they a zombie I don't think so because it's not through all of the other gotcha stuff and they're not like in a trance like state and, and somebody doesn't own their soul right. in their mm-hmm. in their belief systems okay. yeah makes sense y'all tell us what y'all think about both of the stories do you think that Travis did it or not and what do you think zombies yay or nay Oh, before we let you go, so don't don't stop just yet. We're not ready to hang up this call. <laughs> this is literally me and Carol on the phone. Okay, 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 okay. Hold on, hold no, on, no, 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 no. This is Donna on the phone. Y'all have seen our fucking lives. This is Donna on the phone. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But And I'm like, just send a fucking text. I know. No, I'll call you back if you hang up on me. Like, if she didn't hear me say, wait, 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 I'll call you back. It's no big deal. But Anyway, we want to say that if you're in the Creepinati or if you're thinking about joining the Creepinati, we really think you should join Discord because during 31 Nights of Halloween, every Thursday when we do the Thirsty Thursday, we're doing like Halloween trivia or we're basically playing Wheel of Fortune with like guess the words, you know, like by vowel, R-S-T-L-N-E. If y'all watch Wheel of Fortune, y'all get it. But, uh, and also, every time I would say R.L. Stein, when I see those words, how it, because it's R-L-S-T-N-E, R.L. Stein, I'm saying. Anyway, we're playing that kind of game with podcast knowledge and, like, Halloween fun and stuff. It's a lot of fun. We've had one, and we all ended up getting on camera. You don't have to, but it was fun just to put faces with voices and we would love to hang out with y'all you don't have to drink I don't drink you know I can't drink so you know I'm just like drinking water some people are drinking wine eating whatever it's just us chilling and having fun we still have a lot of 31 nights left so it's really important to remember creep it real and And don't don't get get scared. scared